Man. Several weeks ago, I started a series entitled Getting Back to Basics. I started with preaching on the Lord's Supper, communion time, and breaking that down and how it applies to our lives and how it relates to Passover from the Old Testament. Then last week, I started on the Lord's Prayer, and uh, I made a statement, uh, and we're going to put it up on the screen. It's this, perspective is really important because it helps us to focus on the things that really matter. How many of you know perspective is important? It gets us focused. It gets us focused on the things that really matter. Mark chapter 11, I touched on it last week and then I went into the Lord's Prayer and just quickly as a little bit of review, I said that Mark 11 is one of Jesus' most powerful teachings on the faith-filled praying. He talks about moving mountains. He talks about faith that will move mountains. And in that, in Mark 11, verse 22, Jesus says, um, <clears throat> have faith in God, and then he tells us to speak to the mountain. And so as a recap, I said last week, and we're going to put it on the screen, when your focus is on God, you will see the mountain through God's perspective. When our focus is on God, we will see the mountain through God's perspective. So often when we start to pray, and unfortunately sometimes People only pray when they're in trouble or when they need something or when there's a crisis. And so often our prayer life starts from the problem and so then we turn to God. Jesus said, uh, have faith in God and then speak to the mountain. Our focus needs to start with God. Be filled with God and when you're filled with how big God is, how awesome God is, how great God is, you start to get the mountain into God's perspective. You will see it through God's perspective, and it's no more than a pebble. The key to powerful praying is keeping the focus on God and not on the problem. Can I get a yes? So last week I said point number one, start with your focus on God. Point number two last week was start with your focus on the fact that God is your daddy. We went from Mark 11 where Jesus says, his disciples asked him, how did you curse this fig tree? And instead of talking about the fig tree, he starts talking about a mountain. What he was saying is, Anything supernatural that you need in your life, this is the basis of how to go from a crisis, from a problem, from an obstacle to a supernatural overcoming of the obstacle. He says, have faith in God. Start with that. Have faith in God and then speak to the mountain. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, this is how you pray. Now, stop for a moment. It specifically says in the Gospels that the disciples were watching Jesus pray. And when he finished, they said, teach us how to pray. 
Now, I made the point last week that as Hebrew men, it's not that they didn't know how to pray. By the age of 12, they had memorized the first five books of the Bible. Just like I said last week, many of us would have trouble just reciting the names of the first five books of the Bible. The first five books are called the Pentateuch, which are the five books that Moses wrote. And by the age of 12, they had to know this verbatim, have it down pat, and be able to recite it. So it's not like they didn't know how to pray and they're asking Jesus, teach us how to pray. What was different was when Jesus prayed, things happened. And they noticed that when Jesus prayed, things happened. How many of you want things to happen when you pray? Absolutely. And we need to understand that Jesus willingly and quickly then started to teach them how to pray. You know, as sons of God, God wants you to walk in a powerful life and in relationship with him. And the first thing that Jesus teaches in the Lord's Prayer is to start with your focus on the fact that God is your daddy. In Luke 11 and in Matthew 6, verse 9, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer, he says, start with our Father. So in Mark 11, he says, if you want to move mountains, you start with faith in God. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, you want a powerful prayer life? Start with our Father. Now, I shared last week, and I'm quickly doing a little bit of recap, and I'm going to launch into today's message, but I shared last week that in, in the Greek, when Jesus said, I want you to pray our Father, that the word our is the word ego, ego, and it is only ever used emphatically. So I want you to picture this for a moment. Here's God in the flesh, Jesus, talking to his, uh, his disciples, and they're saying, Jesus, when you pray, you have such power. Teach us how to pray. And so God in the flesh is talking to his disciples, and he says, when you pray, I want you to start with the fact that I'm your daddy. Ego, our emphasis, emphatic, I am your daddy. You see, the end result of your prayer life really depends on the beginning of your prayer life. And when we start with the emphasis that God is personal with us, that God is in relationship with us, how did he come into relationship with you? It took a blood covenant. And through that blood covenant, he shed his blood. When two men make a covenant by blood, they both shed blood. God was the only one who shed his blood. He says, I'm making a covenant with you. Even if you break the covenant, I'm the covenant keeper. Amen. Powerful stuff, isn't it? Amen. For this covenant to be successful, God doesn't depend on your faithfulness. He depends on his faithfulness. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Because this would have gone AWOL a long time ago. 
Amen. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples, if you're going to pray and have a powerful prayer life, I want you to start with the focus that not only am I God, but I want you to call me daddy. God in the flesh is saying to his disciples, I want you to start from a place that you're full of the revelation. I'm your daddy. And go with emphasis. Our daddy. Come on, give him a hand. Today, the Lord's Prayer, as I preach, teach on it, it's all about getting God's focus. Getting God's focus. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, all of the Lord's Prayer is a call to having correct focus. And so my title this morning is Getting God's Focus. Because when you get God's focus... When you look at the mountain, it's not a problem. Hello? When you are looking at life through God's focus, nothing is a problem. It's an opportunity for a miracle. And so the message this morning is about getting God's focus. The next aspect or the next thing that Jesus taught them in the Lord's Prayer is this. He says, Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. And that word hallowed is the Greek word hagiadzo. Hagiadzo. And it means to regard something as special, to regard it as sacred, to venerate. Now, we are as we move forward in life, it almost seems like our vocabulary and our English language seems to be shrinking rather than expanding. And so maybe the older generation has a good grasp of the word venerate, but uh, it's not a word used very much today. So in the English dictionary, the word venerate means to regard with great respect to revere. Now we're going to stop. Jesus is wanting. He willingly. His disciples sees that when he prays he gets results. They said teach us how to pray like this. He is very happy to lay it down. He wants you to pray with that kind of a prayer life. And he wants you to have the results that he got. That's why he's teaching us how to pray. And What's really, really important is that he says, okay, you start with having faith in God, but don't just have faith in God. Have faith in the God who is your daddy. That's where you focus. He is God. He's my daddy. And the third thing, hallowed be your name. Your name is to be revered. Your name is sacred. One of the things that we have lost in the church today is a sense of reverence towards God and the things of God. How many of you have been saved for 30 years or more? Put your hand up. How many of you that just raised your hand can agree with me that there has been a loss of a sense of reverence towards the things of God? We've made God common. As much as God wants to be in our daily life, and he wants to be 
regular with us, we should never lose the emphasis or the focus that God is sacred. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples, if you want to pray and live from a, a place of power and have supernatural, miraculous interventions in your life, you got to always start your prayer life not with the problem, but with God. And always start with the revelation that he's your daddy. This is a blood covenant. He, he's your dad by covenant. And thirdly, hold him always in a place of reverence. Now listen, hear me. At the risk of someone taking offense, I'm going to say it anyway. We like shortcuts and we like formulas. God doesn't give us formulas. He gives us a platform for relationship. And so he is not saying, oh, when you're in a crisis and your tail's between your legs and you're, you're, you're really worried and afraid, call me Abba Daddy and say your name is sacred. No, what Jesus is saying is live from the place of reverence towards God. And I think we've lost a sense of reverence towards the things of God, the house of God, towards God himself. We tend to seek God out when trouble has sought us out. We tend to be mindful of God when we're mindful of our difficulties. Rather than being mindful of God because God is God. And so we've lost the sense of reverence. We come to church sporadically rather than fervently. And uh, I, while I understand that... <clears throat> Well, I understand that sometimes the truth is not always popular. It is the truth that will set you free. And so I'll not always say what the typical congregation wants to hear. But I will say the truth. And the truth is this. Church, if we want to live and walk from a place of power and authority with God, if we want to be able to have a prayer life... There needs to be a recognition in our lives, not for the five minutes we pray or the two minutes uh, before we pray, that God needs to be held in high esteem and that he needs to be honored and he needs to be revered and the things of God need to have a very special priority in our lives. Amen. Reading your Bible. Your Bible is a love letter from your father to you. And to have it in your house and hardly ever open it is to say you're not that interested in his love letters. To have the opportunity to pray in terms of fellowship, to talk to God, just that a mere conversation. We only ever go to God some Christians fall into the habit of really ever going to God when they desperately need God to do something. 
That is not holding him in a place of reverence. That is not holding him in a place of great respect. And unfortunately, while we preach a message that God is a God who wants to intervene in our lives and he wants to miraculously respond, by the same token, the balance of that is this. God is not a vending machine. He's not a genie in a bottle who's there to be conjured up every time I'm in a fix. God needs to be honored, respected, revered, and prioritized. And when I say prioritized, you can have a prior, you can prioritize things things and the last thing on your list is prioritized no when i say god needs to be prioritized he needs to be number one and so here jesus is teaching that the key to powerful prayer life is getting things into focus focus on god not the problem not the mountain focus on the fact that he shed blood to make a covenant so that he could be your daddy and you could be his child. And then focus on the fact that he is God and he is to be revered and held in high esteem and to be honored and to be greatly respected. He's number one. Amen. So if we were to summarize the first three points of a powerful prayer life, this is what it looks like, and I think it's really cool. Um, <clears throat> sorry, uh, I just lost my place. Here we go. Point one, start with your focus on God. It keeps the mountain in its right perspective. It's just a pebble. Start with your focus on God. It keeps the mountain in its right perspective. It's just a pebble. Point number two. Start with your focus on the fact that God is our Father. It keeps your relationship with God in right perspective. He's your daddy. Point number three. Start with hallowed be your name. Regard God with great respect. It keeps God in his right perspective. He's God, not us. Honor him and revere him. These are the first things that we need to focus on if our prayer life is going to be a powerful life. If your prayer life is just a cry in the moment of an emergency and that's all your prayer life ever is, you have not revered God, you have not reverenced God, you have not treated him as sacred, you've treated him as someone who's convenient. He's there when you need him. God wants to be the God who's there when we want him, not just need him. I long to be in your presence. I revere you. I respect you. I honor. You are the creator of this universe. How fortunate am I that you are willing to be my daddy. Amen. Amen. We're going to move on to the next part of the Lord's Prayer. And the very next thing Jesus does, after he focuses us on 
relationship so that everything becomes gets into correct perspective. The first three points, he focuses us on relationship. Our relationship to God in relationship to the mountain. Our relationship with God in relationship to this blood covenant. He's our daddy. Our relationship with God in relationship to the fact is the creator of the universe. He is to be held in high esteem. I will say this. That proportionately to the degree that people lose reverence for God, to that same degree, people start to distance themselves from God. The intensity of your passion and love for him will always be equal to the intensity and the revelation that you hold him in high esteem. Amen. Good Good preaching, Pastor Ron. That's a good point. But after Jesus focuses us on the most important foundation, focus, everything else will come into perspective when you focus. He focuses us on the Father, and then he says, your kingdom come. That's the very next statement. God becomes the beginning. He becomes the focus. He's the reason. He's the relationship. And then Jesus says, now make a declaration, your kingdom come. I have preached this in this church before, but many folk are newer and you may not have heard this as of yet. Years ago, when I was preaching this, the Holy Spirit said to me, I want you to look up the Greek word for the word come, your kingdom come. You see, Amber, in English, if I say, your kingdom come, it's almost the equivalent of me saying, I am waiting for Jesus Christ to come. Jesus Christ is yet to come the second time and rapture his church. But when he said, your kingdom come, he is not talking about something that is off into the future. And so I looked up this word come to see why the Holy Spirit even wanted me to investigate it. And those of you who heard me preach this before, I had a good five-minute argument with God. The word come means come, come, come. Something I am anticipating, come. And I looked it up, and the word for come is erkomahi, and it is in the Greek, it is a verb, but nothing about it is futuristic. This word, erkomahi, is only ever used in the present tense, which means your kingdom is come or has come, to be more grammatically correct. And it also, in the imperfect tense, means your kingdom has come and it's happening all around me right now. So everything about your kingdom come has nothing to do with begging God, oh please, I can't wait till your kingdom comes. Let it show up that I can't wait for that day. No, this is a declaration. Father, the creator of the universe who has chosen to make me a child and I have a daddy 
uh, son or daddy-daughter relationship with, I am making the declaration that the realm of your influence, the realm of your supernatural ability is with us, it is here, and it's happening in my life and around my life and through my life. Now, if you like that, give the Lord a big hand. I don't know if we put it on the tent, uh, on the screen, but the present tense always describes something that is now. The imperfect tense always describes something that is ha has happened and is still happening. People are still benefiting from the effect of it. So in essence, at this demarcation, at this point in the Lord's Prayer, what Jesus is telling his disciples to say, what he literally spoke in the Greek was this. When you pray, I want you to start with, our daddy, you are greatly respected and to be revered. Your kingdom is here and the effect of your kingdom is still happening all around me. You see, religious demons have taught through the church the Lord's Prayer as a piece of poetry that we recite. Because it doesn't, religious demons do not want to advocate the presence of God and the willingness of God to be present and do miracles in your life. Religious demons don't want you to live in that reality. They want to take the power out of your faith and make it tradition and ritual. And so what they do is they blind us to the revelation of the scripture so that it loses its revelation. And when it loses its revelation, it loses its relevance. Did you hear that? And so we often interpret scripture through religious eyes. Religion has no power. Religious demons set it up so that the word of God becomes nothing more than religious expression so that we believe in a form but don't understand or experience the power of God. Jesus is teaching his disciples, come on, come on, don't focus on the mountain. Focus on God because when you're focused on God, every mountain will be nothing more than a little pebble. Focus on the fact that he made a blood covenant, one side, only one side. The blood was shed by him, not by us. He is the one who's faithful and he's the one who keeps the covenant. Focus on the fact that he shed his blood to have relationship so that when you start praying, you're sitting on the lap not uh, oh crying out to a deity, you're sitting on the lap of your daddy and you're crying and praying from a position, daddy, daddy, daddy. Do I have to let go? <laughs> There's a lot there to hug, isn't there? <laughs> Start your prayer with great reverence for his immensity. Start your prayer with great reverence for the fact that he's God. 
He's the creator of this universe. Hold him and the things of our faith with great respect. He's not there for your convenience. He's there for your relationship. And with that as your focal point and your starting point, make the declaration. The kingdom of God is here and the kingdom of God is now. You see, religious demons want us to pray from the perspective of hopelessness. Your kingdom come, please send, send the uh, Calvary. <laughs> he already went to Calvary. The Calvary already came. And so Jesus is saying, pray from the perspective, your kingdom is here, your kingdom is now, your kingdom is in me, and your kingdom is working around me. Amen. Your kingdom come. And so <clears throat> the, uh, <clears throat> he taught them, Jesus didn't teach his disciples to pray some hopeful plea that God's kingdom will come sometime in the future. No, no, no. He taught them to make a declaration. I'm not living in the disorder of this world. I'm living in the divine order of God's world in this world. When you say your kingdom come, in fact, I would encourage you, don't say it like that because in the Greek, he's saying your kingdom has come and because it has come, it is still happening in my life. It is a declaration. When you pray, get up in the morning and make the declaration today. Your kingdom is here. Your kingdom is in me. Your kingdom is around me. And your kingdom is working and flowing through me as well. Make it the declaration. Today, God, I am living in divine order, not demonic disorder, because I live in your kingdom in a broken down world. Praise God. So point number four is this. Start with the focus that the kingdom of God has come and the power of the kingdom of God is being unleashed all around you. I want you all to stop for a moment. What would the church look like if all around the world, in every culture, in every nationality, where the church of Jesus Christ is, and I don't mean a building or a denomination, I mean the people. What would the church of Jesus Christ look like if every morning every Christian woke up and took 10 minutes to focus and say, okay, I'm not looking at the problems, I'm looking at God. And when I look at God, my problem's nothing but a, a pebble. And I am looking at the fact that he's not just the creator of this universe, but he made a blood covenant to be in relationship with me. He's my daddy. Number three, he is awesome, he is respected, he is revered, he is majestic, and I honor him. And today, because 
of these three things I can declare. God, your kingdom is here. Your kingdom is now. Your kingdom is with me. Your kingdom is in me. And your kingdom is for me. And therefore the divine order of your kingdom will set the order of my day. What would the church of Jesus Christ look like around the world if every Christian woke up and started their day with those types of declarations? Religious demons have perverted the Lord's Prayer and turned it into nothing more than a collection of grammatical phrases that we repeat superstitiously as if by just repeating these magical words, something will happen. No, the power isn't in the magic words. The power is in the revelation of the words of God that are filled with life and spirit. Praise God. So we got point four down. Jesus then goes on and says, okay, now that you've established that the kingdom of God is here and it's now and you're making that declaration and you're making the declaration, you don't live in a world of disorder, that's not what governs you. The kingdom of God is here, that's what governs you. You live in a world of demonic disorder, but your world is guided by divine order, not disorder. Now that you've established that, the next thing I want you to pray is this, Matthew 6, 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And again, we've prayed this from a religious perspective. And it's as if Christians kneel at the altar and they're begging God, Oh God, your kingdom come, please. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because we're taking a beating. We're taking a pounding. Come on, God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Totally incorrect perspective. There are prayers of petition and then there are prayers of declaration. And the Lord's Prayer is a declaration. Everything Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer brings us back to the right focus so that everything else will be in the right perspective. And so the right focus is your kingdom is here, your kingdom is now, the power of your kingdom is operating around me. I am not going to be governed by the demonic disorder of this world. I am governed by the divine order of your kingdom while I'm living in this world. Therefore, I make the declaration, your will is being done in my life now, just like your will will be done in my life when I'm in heaven. Amen. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is a declaration. Because when you start with the focus that the kingdom of God has come, and the power of the kingdom is being unleashed around you, you can make the declaration. Your will is being done in my life on earth right now the same way it will be done in my life when I'm in heaven. 
See, demons want to convince you that they have the right to bring demonic disorder into your life. David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why can David say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil? Because he understood that God was his father. And he understood the immensity and the awesomeness of God. And he held God in high esteem. And he understood that he and his Hebrew fellow men were called to be a nation that represented the kingdom of God. So David, even in the Old Testament, had a better revelation and concept of kingdom theology than most Christians today. How can I live in a world that's crazy? How can I live in a world filled with demonic disorder? How can I live in a world where tragedy after tragedy just happens in people's lives? And not be afraid. Easy. I live in a world gone wild and a world run by demonic forces. But I live inside the kingdom of God and I am governed by God's divine order. And therefore, I can decree your will is happening today in my life. Not Satan's will. Your will for my life is happening today. Not a tragedy around the corner. Not a bus whose brakes are going to fail and is going to smash into me. No, Satan's will for my life is not taking place today. Your will is being done in my life just as if your will will be done when I am in heaven. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a round of applause. Point five, focus on the fact that God's will in heaven is happening for you on earth, not the devil's plan from hell. Now, for the negative self that talks to us, every one of us have a negative expression that wants to rise up inside of us and tell us, you know what, it can't be that good. And for that negative voice that wants to talk to you and say, Pastor Rob, I think you're trying to put the most positive spin possible on the Lord's Prayer and you're really reinterpreting it. Let me prove it to you from the Old Testament that God's will for you every day is for good things. And I'm going to prove it from the Old Testament. And you say, well, why would that carry any greater uh, credibility? If this is God's will in the Old Testament and the old will comes to show you, the old covenant comes to show you how much we have fallen short of God's plan. And if in the old covenant God has a plan for your success and your daily well-being, how much more in the new covenant, the New Testament, which is embodies the gospel of good news, how much more today under the new covenant we are afforded God's best will and God's best plans for our every day. 
So I'm going to take a scripture from the Old Testament, and this is what God says in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And he says this to a nation that is in rebellion. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. The reason why Jeremiah is the weeping prophet is because Jerusalem had already been attacked by the Babylonians once, and God showed Jeremiah that because of Israel's disobedience, Judah's disobedience, Jerusalem's about to be ransacked for the second time, and it'll be decimated. And that's why Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet, because he's out of God's heart for this holy city. He is weeping about its destruction. And yet, in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, this is what God says through Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. If that was God's heart for Israel, while it was still in a place of rebellion, how much more for you and for me when we focus our prayer life starting on God, not the problem, and starting on the fact that he's our daddy, how much more that his kingdom is here now and it's happening now, how much more I can make a declaration. God's will for my life is what's going to happen today, not the devil's will for my life. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Praise God. So, I'm going to reiterate point five. Focus on the fact that God's will in heaven is going to happen for you on earth, not the devil's plan from hell. Can you see how the Lord's prayer is not some beggarly, hopeful plea, God, please send your kingdom and help us. It is a declaration of facts that are already established. That's why it's so important to realize that a powerful prayer life comes from focusing on these points. If you focus on these points, you're focusing on what God has already done. And therefore, you can be assured of what God will do. Like David, you can say, though I'm journeying through life and all hell is breaking out and it's like walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm one cool dude who's not going to be afraid because I know who's got my back. Amen. Amen. From there, Jesus says the very next statement. He's acknowledging, he, and he's telling us, acknowledge the kingdom of God has come and the power of it is happening in our lives all around us. Therefore, God's will's gonna happen in our life today, not the devil's will. And the next declaration is this, therefore, give me today my daily bread. You see, your daily bread represents the promises of God for everything you need in life. Here, let me, let me make a point to make 
this carry even great relevance to your life. Daily bread. Where does this expression come from in the Bible? Give us this day our daily bread. This is a carryover from the Old Testament. God takes the Hebrew people out of Egypt, and he's journeying them from Egypt, a land of captivity, to the promised land. Unfortunately, they went through the desert and ended up staying in the desert for 40 years. Not because that was God's plan. It wasn't. When you read the story, they're stuck in a wilderness because they don't have faith that God is really going to give them the promised land. Okay? The church today has been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and much of the church is still living in the wilderness because they don't have faith that God has already taken and decided to take us into the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. There are certain denominations that set up a whole theology called cessationism. Why we don't believe that miracles and the gifts of the Spirit are for today. Let me tell you, God never intended for Israel to be in the desert. They were in the desert because they couldn't believe in the promise. Hello? Absolutely. And so uh, it is uh, really, really important for us to understand what, where, where does the phrase daily bread come from? While they were in the desert for 40 years, which was never God's intention, while they were in the desert, he had to sustain them. I mean, how do you feed 3 million people in the middle of the desert every day for 40 years? And so in the middle of their unbelief, God does something to help them bridge themselves from a place of unbelief to a place of faith. And he says, every day, I'm going to do a miracle. And every day, I will bring a thing called manna, which is a substance in heaven. It's bread that angels eat. The Bible says it has a sweet taste. He said, every day, I'm going to, Literally, like the dew, I'm going to fill the ground with manna. And you can take as much as you want and eat it, and it will sustain you. But I want you to understand something. Only take enough that you will actually eat that day. Because if you try to collect more than what you need for that day, what you're saying, in essence, is that you don't believe that I'm the God who will show up tomorrow. And so I'm going to make the manna, which is sweet and from heaven, actually go rotten overnight. Because I want a day-to-day relationship with you. I want you to believe that I'm the God who will give you your daily bread. They were in the desert because they didn't have faith to go into the promise. So God said, I'm going to bring the promise to you to build your faith. And because of my faithfulness, I will do good things for you so that your faith grows and you understand that I'm the God who's there every morning when you wake up. And I'm there with my promises every day when you wake up. 
what God was teaching the people of Israel so that they could get to the promised land was that he is the God of miraculous intervention on a daily basis. Do you know that most of the church today doesn't even believe that? They don't believe that for them. And that's why most of the church is still in the wilderness. I want you as born again sons of God to understand you are in a blood covenant and it didn't take your blood to make the covenant. So your unfaithfulness isn't going to break the covenant. God's faithfulness keeps the covenant. And he's the God who's going to show up in your life every morning. And he's the God who wants you to walk in miraculous expectation every day. This is your daily bread. And so when Jesus says, Lord, give us our daily bread, he's drawing their imaginations back to the only place in the Bible where there's any reference to daily bread, and that is God showing up with manna every morning. How powerful. Jesus is saying, because when you pray, start with your focus on God. Start with your focus on the fact that there's a covenant relationship. He's your dad. Start with the fact that he is God. He is immense. He's to be awed, held in awe and respect and esteem. And then, because of that, make the declaration, God's kingdom is here, and God's kingdom is now, and God's kingdom is still happening at Komahi. The imperfect tense means we are still feeling the effects of what has happened. Nothing about thy kingdom come is futuristic, and yet religious demons translate this so that we always think the kingdom of God is way off in the future. And then make the declaration, because your kingdom is here and I'm living in your kingdom, I am not governed by the disorder of demons. I am governed by the divine order of heaven. Therefore, I declare your will will happen for me at work today, not the devil's plan or the devil's strategy of sabotage. I declare... Your will is going to happen in my body, not the devil's plan to steal, kill, and destroy. You see how the Lord's Prayer takes on a whole different direction and perspective? When you get the focus right, the perspective changes. Hello? The whole thing about the Lord's Prayer, it's a call to have correct focus. Your will be done. Your will is being done in my life today. It, when you make that declaration, you're closing the door on the kingdom of darkness and you're saying, don't even bother knocking. I'm not letting you in today. And then when you say, give us your daily bread, it's not a beg, it's not a plea, it's not even a request, it's a declaration. Because of all the above, Today, I declare that I will live and walk in the miraculous interventions of God. Miracles are meant to be my norm because my God is a miraculous God. Whoa! I'm talking to the men. Guys, doesn't that make you feel like you got hair on your chest? 
Ladies, doesn't that make you feel protected? Absolutely. The Lord's Prayer is not something you recite because we have a superstition. It's magical. No, the Lord's Prayer is powerful only because it takes us to focus on the revelation and the revelations become our reality and we pray out of the place of revelational uh, re, uh, realities. We are praying from a place where we are anticipating the miraculous interventions of God on a daily basis. Give us this day our daily bread. In fact, let me tell you something. Not only, see, a lot of churches will tell you, you know, don't expect miracles. They're rare and few and far between. No, 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 no. The word of God actually teaches us to expect miracles. The word of God teaches us to expect miracles. In fact, God didn't just give them daily bread every day. And some people didn't believe and they hoarded up enough for the next day just in case God didn't show up. See, that's the problem. The church is always afraid God isn't going to show up. It is, a, it is a blemish on the character of God when we doubt that God is going to show up the next day filled with miracles for our lives. The reason why it's a blemish on God's character is because one of God's names is this. I am Jehovah Shammah. And what that means is, I am the Lord your God who is always present. And when I try to store up enough manna for tomorrow, I'm saying, I don't believe you are Jehovah Shammah who will show up in my tomorrow. And so Jesus teaches us to pray. And what we're basically praying when we say, give us this day our daily bread, we are de making a declaration about God. You are the God who is Jehovah Shammah, and you will show up in my tomorrow. Amen. Powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. This is so good, I can't wait to go home and listen to it. I listen to my sermons every week. And I sit on my couch and I say, good preaching, Pastor Rob. <laughs> Let me touch this point again, but from another perspective. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, the Holy Spirit of God led him into the wilderness for 40 days. And the Holy Spirit said, don't eat, okay? Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days. Israel was fed daily bread every day so that God could show them, you can live on my promise. I'm not going to give you natural bread. I'm going to give you something from heaven because I want you to know that if I say I'm showing up tomorrow, my promise is something you could eat and live on. So now the Spirit of God tells Jesus not to eat. One of the first temptations is Satan says to Jesus, if you are God, say to the stone to be turned into bread and eat it. The problem with that is the moment he does that, he is disobeying the Spirit of God. 
who led him into the wilderness to fast. And what the devil wants to do is take Jesus' eyes off of the supernatural provision of God. God told me to fast for 40 days. He's got me. He wants to take Jesus off of the supernatural provision of God, and he wants to turn Jesus' eyesight onto a stone, an obstacle, a rock, a mountain. And Jesus says, watch, this is really cool. He says, devil, man doesn't live on physical bread alone. What sustains him is every promise of God. Man doesn't live on bread alone. He lives on the promises of God. That's what sustains us. Even Jesus is saying, your everyday sustenance depends on the supernatural intervention of God. Oh, I love it. And they want to say that miracles aren't for today. I want to tell you, when you understand the gospel of the kingdom of God, you know that miracles are meant to be the norm. We're meant to pray and make declarations that today I will see Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is in my, my today, and he will show up with my supernatural provision, my daily bread. Jesus says man doesn't live on physical bread. He lives on the provision of God's supernatural bread. I don't need to eat physical bread. The word of God told me to fast. The word of God will provide for me and take me through. He will sustain me. Powerful, isn't it? So Paul puts his two cents to this. And in 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, Paul says, verse 20, there are many promises that God has made. And even though God has made a ton of promises, every promise is echoed with a shout of yes from Jesus Christ. Why is that? Every promise God makes, Jesus is in the forefront shouting yes! Why? His yes is his blood speaking, saying, I shed my blood so that you can eat from that promise. The next part of the verse is this, and therefore we, the church, say amen. That's how it is to the glory of God. You see, we take the promises of God and we make them our yes. That's how it is. Jesus says yes. We say that's how it is. It's that, that's my daily bread. It's happening. God's will is happening in my life today. And God gets the glory because another miraculous provision takes place in our lives. Can I make this observation? Theoretically, Jesus wasn't even teaching you how to pray. He was teaching you how to live in a supernatural way. We want prayers we can recite. Jesus was giving us thoughts of how we should think so that we can walk in a supernatural manifestation of God's miracles on a regular basis.
Now, how many of you would rather pray the Lord's Prayer this way than just reciting it as some whimsical, magical plea? What a huge difference. What a huge difference. Religion blinds us to the revelation of the Word of God. And when it blinds us to the revelation of the Word of God, it has no relevance to our day-to-day. The reason why religious demons do that is because if they can blind you from the revelation, it will have no relevance to your day-to-day and you will have no power in your existence. The reason why God gets people like me to preach this stuff is so that we get pulled back into focus. Whoa! Hang on a second. Devil, you almost had me. But the word of God is speaking to me. I hear it. I hear it. Come on. I'm going to focus on God, not on the mountain. And when I focus on God, the mountain will fall into its right perspective. It's nothing but a pebble. I'm going to focus on the fact that he made a blood covenant and he's my daddy. I'm going to focus on the fact that he is hallowed. He is to be revered and honored and respected. He is the creator of the universe. And from that place of focus, he says, now declare, your kingdom has already come. Your kingdom is here. And because it came, we're still feeling the effects of your kingdom today. Therefore, I declare, God, your will is going to happen in my life today. My physical body, my financial situation, my employment, in every area of my life, the kingdom of darkness doesn't rule over me. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. I am a son of God. I am an ambassador of this kingdom. And I make a declaration, God's will is being done in my life today. And I'm shutting the door on every demon who wants to come knocking with a strategy for my demise. No, 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 no. For my father knows the plans he has for me. And they are plans with a hope. They are plans with a future. And they are plans written for my success. Your will is being done in my life today. Today, I will live in divine order even though I live in a world filled with demonic disorder. Therefore, today, I acknowledge you are Jehovah Shammah. You are the God of my morning, and you will bring me my daily bread. Praise God. Point six, what I just said. Everything I just said, point six, focus on the fact that God's promises are your daily bread because they are your daily bread. The promises of God are your Jehovah Shammah every morning. The promises of God are your daily bread, your manna a supernatural substance showing up 
in your life every day. Every day, expect the supernatural manifestation of God. Healing your brain, healing your legs, healing your arms, healing your speech. Don't settle where you are. God never meant for you to be in the wilderness. He wants to take you over to the land full of promise. If we look at the last three points, I summarized the first three points at the beginning of the message. The last three points, here's the summary. The kingdom of God is here and now, and it's happening. Point five, God's will, not the devil's will, is happening in your life every day. Point six, these are the things we focus on. God's promises are your daily bread, and you're going to walk in it every day of your life. The devil wants you to believe in cessationism. He wants you to believe words of knowledge aren't for today. You know what a word of knowledge is? God giving someone supernatural revelation about something in your life so that your faith will be inspired. The devil doesn't want you to believe that you can lay hands on the sick and the gift of healing will operate because he wants you to live in the effects of the kingdom of darkness. There was no sickness on the earth until Adam gave the authority over to Satan and Satan became the God of this world. The God of the kingdom of heaven is the God whose name is Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals you and knits you back together and makes you whole. The God of the kingdom of darkness is the God who steals, kills, and destroys. Every time you declare your kingdom is come, you are making the declaration, I don't live under the same conditions as everyone else in the world. I'm in the same world, but I live in God's divine order, not in demonic disorder. Therefore, God's will is happening today and every day. Because Satan's will will not be a part of who I am. <laughs> Stand with me. How many of you got some daily bread today? Look at me. I don't want you to come to church because it's your due diligence. Nor do I want you to treat church with the disrespect that it's something you could do when you got plenty of time and there's nothing else to do. Hallow who God is. I am fortunate to be here today in his presence. I am honored and blessed I'm not giving up my time. He's given up his time. I'm the one who's favored. I'm the one who has this great privilege to be alive and in his presence here today with the rest of his bride. See, we don't hallow the things of God. I don't want you to come 
to hear another sermon. I preach to create mental shifts, to bring God's word and replace the religious word that used to be in our mind. And I'm not standing here because I'm inferring anything about you at all. I could be here or here. I preach so that God can create a shift in our understanding because God wants to create a shift in our circumstance. Amen. I want you to believe in the God who is Shema, the God who's always present. I want you to believe in the God who's standing right there when you wake up, ready with basketfuls of manna from heaven. I want you to walk and live in the expectation of God's supernatural intervention. Because if you don't li live with the experience of God's supernatural intervention, then it means the God who's supernatural by nature isn't around. And if he isn't around, he's not Jehovah Shammah. Every day, though I walk through a world filled with the shadow of death and craziness, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I am confident the Lord is my shepherd. He's the one guiding my life. He's the influence in my circumstances. He's the details in my every day. The Lord's Prayer is a declaration. It pulls us back into right focus so that everything else will fall into its right perspective. It's not a plea. It's not a bargaining chip. It's a declaration of what has already happened and who we already are because of Jesus Christ. Turn to somebody and say, and only say it if you mean it, I really got something out of today. I needed that. Yeah. Now, before I close, I do this every Sunday. Why? I never want to miss the opportunity that someone might be here and they don't know God as their dad. There's only one way to know God as your dad. You see, you have a biological dad, good or bad, not present in your life, whatever the history might be. You have a biological dad. The only way to get a supernatural dad is to be born again. You were born once, you have a biological dad. When you get born again, now you have a supernatural Jesus said to a religious teacher of Israel, he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. This guy was already serving in the temple. And Jesus said, you must be born again. Because until you're born again, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not your daddy. If you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, that's how we get born again. When we ask Jesus to come in, we're acknowledging God in the flesh took one for the team.
the curse that was on me, he put it on himself. And he died and paid all of my debts to society so that I could become his child. If you have never asked Jesus Christ in your heart, if you've never been born again, if you're not sure, well, every eye is closed right now. I want you to raise your hand. Come on. And say, I, I want you, God, to be my daddy. I don't just want you to be the creator of the universe. I want you to be my daddy. I want to ask Jesus from my heart. Raise your hand right now if that's you. I don't care if you're Baptist. I don't care if you're Catholic. I don't care what religion you are. I see that hand. Uh, it doesn't matter what religion you are. Some religions will tell you, well, if we dunk you, if we sprinkle you, if we baptize you, uh, you get baptized into our church and we got a, 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 a pledge with God that if you're part of our denomination, you're going to go to heaven. Jesus never said that. Jesus comes to us one-on-one. One-on-one. It's not through an organization. It's not through a denomination. It's you and Jesus. If you have never asked Jesus in your life, one lady already raised her hand. Raise your hand and say, I want dad. I want God to be my daddy. Just raise your hand right here. All right, I'm going to ask the person who raised their hand and everyone in this congregation, as we close today, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And this is the prayer that gives permission for Jesus to come into our lives and it allows God to make us his child. Repeat this prayer after me, everyone. Dear God, I really believe that you love me that much. That you became flesh and we know you as Jesus Christ and you went through all the pain I go through and you died on that cross for all the mistakes I made Jesus thank you for dying on the cross for me and I receive you I accept you. I acknowledge you died for me. And I receive you into my life. Jesus Christ, I am giving you the invitation. Come and live in me so I can live with God. Take control of my life. Take hold of the steering wheel. Lead me, guide me, help me, forgive me of all my sins. I receive your yes. I receive your blessing. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me and setting me free from the kingdom of darkness and bringing me into the kingdom of God. Thank you, my sins are forgiven. And today, I am born again. I am a child of God. Amen. Come on, put your hands together for those who prayed that for the first time today. Amen. I want your life to be powerful. 
I don't just want you to come to church. I want you to be a pillar in God's kingdom, every one of you. I want you to walk with Jesus and have as powerful a prayer life as his disciples learned to have. I want you to know that you have authority to say, Devil, back off in Jesus' name. And you have the authority to release the blessings and the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know you're a king, you're a priest. I want you to know who you are in Jesus Christ. So turn around and to someone else who is a king, who is a priest, who is a child of God, I want you to turn around and say, nice to meet somebody just like me. Come on, hug half a dozen people. Give them a high five, a fist pump. Greet each other in Jesus' name. Church, have a blessed week. And I'll see you next Sunday for more Daily Bread.